You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. All right, guys, we'll jump in. Um, reading from Luke 4:14. 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And also from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you have that, if you want to see that little diagram on page five of the booklet, it tells you all these stages that we're working our way through. We have smashed our way through the first three stages: Old Testament, piece of cake, really, uh, and text this morning, uh, Matthew one one to Revelation twenty two, twenty two. Uh, so this is easy, it's much shorter than the Old Testament, uh, so it should be pretty straightforward. We're looking at the next three stages, the final three stages in the great story of redemption. Let's pray uh, before we think about this together. Lord God, thank you so much that you are a great and a beautiful God. And we thank you for the wonderful story of the Bible, that is the true story of the world, and the story of our lives. We thank you that you write us into the story, and you intend us to live in the story and to be transformed by it and renewed and refreshed by it. We pray that that would be our experience this morning as we think about these next three stages. But more than that, we pray that it be our experience day by day, that we might live in this story. And as we come to know you and what you're doing in this world, our souls would be renewed in Christ. 
And so we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, I'm not a great TV watcher. Um, in fact, I watch almost nothing on TV, uh, except for one show. There is one show that I watch. I uh, watch it pretty regularly. I have to admit, it's an incredibly boring show, and basically every episode has exactly the same plot line. There is really no variety in it whatsoever. Uh, but I still watch it. It's called um, The News. Uh, I don't know why it's called The News, because it's never new. It's like really old. I reckon they ought to call it The Old, The Nightly Old, um, I watch. It's not only old and unbelievably predictable, it's mostly very discouraging. Uh, I seldom come away from watching my favourite programme, Uplifted. Uh, pretty, pretty similar themes in the plot every night. There's usually something political, scandal, backflip, intrigue. Uh, it, there's always violence, murder or two, maybe a US shooting, perhaps a bombing. Um, there's always violence, domestic violence. Uh, there's always economic volatility. So just a key part of the plot. Um, the ASX is up. Nope, the ASX is down. Ah, gold is up. No, gold is down. We are headed for the biggest surplus in the last 20... No, sorry, uh, no surplus. It's going to be the biggest deficit we've ever had. Oh, no, there's a second, turn of quarter, uh, second quarter turnaround, and uh, we might actually have a small surplus as well. Um, so there's always economic uh, volatility. And then, perhaps here in Victoria, the most depressing part of the whole thing is the weather forecast. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's just seldom encouraging. It's a very negative, <laughs> negative end to the bulletin almost every time. I don't know what your news source is. I do ABC. I don't know why. Um, maybe you do News Corp, maybe social media feeds. But I suspect whatever your news feed is, is probably not that much different to the show I watch. And if that's the true story of the world, it's pretty awful. But what if it's not the true story of the world? Maybe ABC isn't telling us everything. Now, there's a thought. Maybe News Corp, social media, your news channel, maybe it's not telling you everything. Maybe they're just focusing on one part of the story, not the whole story. They focus, really, on stage two, chaos. And they... They even focus on that in a very limited way. It's always chaos out there. They don't usually deal with the chaos in here. It's not very convicting, but it's a mess. They seldom talk about, in fact, I don't know if they ever talk about stage one, <laughs> the beauty of God. They don't talk about stage three, the wonderful complexity of rich relationship with God. It just doesn't make the cut in the news at all. And they don't tell us much, if anything, about the last three stages of the story. 
love, purpose, and hope. Those are the next three stages, and they're good news. The, the Bible is its own news program, and it's, it's way better than ABC News, I've found. Uh, and and it's, it's called good news. It's called the gospel. And in many ways, these next three stages that we're going to rip through this morning are what everyone, I think, is really looking for. Just, just below the surface of our lives, you know, we might be buzzing around chasing a job and, and getting a qualification and trying to buy a house and se- securing um, some sort of image and profile for ourselves. But just below the surface of all that, deep down, I think most of us are looking for love. We're looking for a sense of purpose in life. And we're looking for hope. And that's what these next three stages in God's story are about. I want us to just take a peek at these three stages and see how they are wonderfully designed to actually refresh and restore and renew our souls. So we come to Act 4 in the great story of the Bible, the great drama of redemption, love. We're really looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But I have to admit, the New Testament does not get off to a ripper start, does it? Uh, if you have a look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it's just a long list of names. So-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. It's scarcely a, a gripping beginning to the story, but it's significant because that great long list of names eventually leads to Jesus Christ, and it's a reminder that when Jesus comes, he comes as part of this long story. It's been going on for generations and generations and generations. All the names in the story are actually leading up to his name at the end of that genealogy. Here is the seed of Abraham who will bring blessing to all the nations. Here's the Davidic king who will reign with righteousness and justice forever. Here is the saviour of the world who is given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. If you go to the genealogy in Luke, it goes back even further. And we're told there, here is the second Adam who will be the second true representative of humanity. He is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Here, it says in Luke, here is the Son of God who now takes on human flesh. It's, it's astounding. It's, it's a piece of the story that if we didn't already know it, we'd be like, whoa, that is crazy. Now, the God of all things, the creator of the universe, the one who is mapping out this amazing world story, comes in and takes to the stage, takes on flesh and blood, becomes one of us, and actually becomes the key actor in the whole drama. But when Jesus comes onto the stage, he he comes on, actually, this isn't a bad analogy, really, he comes onto a cluttered stage. Uh, there's just stuff everywhere. You kind of have to imagine, you know, one corner is like dozens of dead kings 
There have been so many different kings of Israel, and most of them have led Israel, uh, God's people, into terrible evil. You know, this great lineup of prophets, most of them dead, one still living. The last of the prophets is John the Baptist, but there's been this great succession of prophets who have been declaring the message and calling people to God. There are men and women of faith across the stage, some dead, some alive. And they've been longing for the day of his appearing. There are pitiful souls, poor people, outcasts, lepers, broken people. And Jesus comes onto that stage and he says, as we read just before, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is his mission. He's come to restore and to redeem and to renew. He's come to seek and to save the lost. But how does he do that? Well, first, first, he lives for us. As the second Adam, he has come as the true representative of humanity, and he represents us, and he now lives the perfect human life in our place for us. He lives a life of compassion and grace and mercy. He, he lives a life of strength and courage and determination. He keeps God's law perfectly on our behalf. So in his moment, there, in his life, there is never, never a moment of lust or unholy anger or greed. Not a, not a hint of selfishness. Never one single ill-timed word. And the amazingly good news is this. God says that when we believe in him, when we trust in him as having lived that life for us, God reckons that life to be ours. It's an astounding spiritual transaction. It's as if you check your your eternal spiritual bank account, you, you log in to um, well, heaven.com or whatever it is, and, and check your account, and you are in terrible deficit. Every sin, all the chaos and complexity of our lives has drained our account, and there's no way we can trade out of the mess. A few good works now will not tip the balance in our account. We have no option but to declare spiritual bankruptcy. But the miracle of the gospel is this. When we place our faith in Jesus, God makes a deposit into our spiritual bank account. 
and he deposits into our account all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He puts into your account Christ's absolute perfect love, his purity, his moral beauty, his excellence, his compassion, his justice, his righteousness. All that is now reckoned to be yours. And you check your account now, you log in again, and you are rich beyond measure, wealthy in Christ. All his righteousness is yours. But there's something in you know, just, just amazing that goes along with that, you find there has been another transaction conducted as well. All your debt has been credited <laughs> into Jesus' account. Our massive failings, our impurity, our unholiness, our unloving hearts, all was reckoned to Jesus. And this perfect man now took on himself our sin, our guilt, our shame, and he bore the most evil, wicked load. It was soul-crushing. Look, the weight of sin, not just all my sin, but all yours and the sin of the world bearing down on the holy heart of Jesus. And he took it to the cross to pay off that debt. There he endured the wrath of God for our sin, and it was agonizing. He sweated drops of blood. He wished that it might not be. And the world literally went dark. But Jesus did not do that begrudgingly. He went there in love. It says in Ephesians 5 and verse 2, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He loved us and gave himself for us. We were his enemies. We were rebels. We'd been chasing all this other rubbish instead of chasing after God. But Christ in love took our sin on himself and paid for it in full. Last year, uh, during COVID, my 20-year-old daughter fostered a cat. Now, I didn't even know you could foster cats, but evidently you can foster cats. Um, she fostered a cat from an animal welfare center, and this cat had suffered abuse, had a very hard background, um, had severe social anxiety, and was, to be honest, really quite neurotic. Uh, this, this cat, desperate for affection, uh, terribly nervous, and absolutely hell-bent on getting outside. We weren't allowed to let this cat outside, uh, but, but he was just absolutely determined to get out any way he possibly could. To me, this cat was an absolute nightmare. 
but my daughter loved him to bits. She'd take days off uni to stay home with Albie. There were nights when she didn't catch up with her friends because Albie needed her. Hello. (laughs) She bought Albie toys and treats. And she was worried sick about what would happen to him once she had to return him to the animal welfare centre. These cats, you know, they get fostered while they're waiting for someone to adopt them. And she would be constantly checking Elby's Facebook page. Well, it was actually the, the, it was the welfare centre's Facebook page. But she could check there whether anyone had adopted Elby. And she would just constantly go there and she was worried sick until Elby was adopted by someone else. She loved a neurotic cat. And Christ loved me. And it blows me away because, to be honest, a lot of the time I'm not much better than a neurotic cat. (laughs) I don't know about you. Maybe you're the same. Insecure, craving attention, needing love, feeling anxious, wanting to escape. And Christ loved us and gave his life for us. And he didn't just foster us, he adopted us into his family. He loved us. He lived for us. He died for us. And then he rose from the dead. He rose triumphant. The price had been paid. Triumphant over sin. Triumphant over death. And now seated in glory, he continues to love us and intercede for us and advocate for us. And he does so knowing what it is like to live in the, in the chaos and the mess of this world. Jesus knows what it is like to be tempted and he feels for you and he loves you when you are tempted and fighting temptation. He knows what it is like to be betrayed and ridiculed and he feels for you and his heart goes out to you when you feel betrayed and ridiculed. Jesus knows what it is like to be abused. He knows what it is like to be lonely. He knows what it is like to be abandoned. And so we have to think about how Christ views us now as, our, as the one who now lives for us in heaven. How does he view us now when there's mess and sin and chaos in our lives? How, how do you think Jesus views you when you sin? You think he rolls his eyes? Hopeless. <laughs> Do you think he shakes his head? So disappointing, Murray. I did so much for you. 
Do you think he uh, raises an eyebrow? <laughs> really? Do you think he turns his face away from you? No, the message of the New Testament is that as you go to Jesus Christ, he reaches out to you in limitless love. You will find his grace and his mercy again and again and again. Not once, but time and again, day after day. You can never exhaust his love. You can never run dry his supply of mercy. So how do you live this part of the story? <laughs> you go to Jesus again and again and again. Go to him the first time to be saved from your sin and then go to him again and again and again because his love for you is limitless. Go to him with all your fears, all your worries, all your burdens, all your heartbreaks. Submit to him every doubt and every hope and every need. And you will find that he is the most loving and faithful friend you can possibly have. Uh, my dad died about six, seven years ago, and so mum's been on her own since then. Uh, mum's a verbal processor of life. <laughs> she, she talks about everything. Uh, but now the house is empty. And uh, who does she talk to? <laughs> she talks to the Lord. And she says to me, I phone her most weeks and have a long chat, and she says, oh, Murray, I, I talk to the Lord so much. I talk to him about everything. She says, I, I hope I don't talk too much to him. Oh, I, I tell him everything. I, I tell him what's going on. I ask him about all the decisions I've got to make. I, I just talk to him about everything. And I bet she does. She's alone. But she's not lonely. She has the best friend in the world living in her house. So that actually leads us now to the next stage of the story. When we know Jesus in that kind of way, we have, we have a new sense of purpose in life. What do you do when you see something incredible? When you see something incredible, you say, wow, look at that. We enjoy it more, actually, by talking about it and by praising it. You, you post a photo of it. You want other people to see it. What do you do if you're, you know, some of you here have been doing this kind of stuff. What do you do if you're expecting a baby? You look forward to announcing it. It's good. You get to that mark in your pregnancy where you say, we're going to announce it. It's exciting to announce that you're having a baby. I know that I'm probably the only granddad in the house, but... What You probably know this. What do grandparents do when they get together? They share photos of their grandkids competing for who's got the cutest. And I don't know why they even bother competing, because I've got the cutest. <laughs> you can see some of them on my phone later if you want. When 
when there's good stuff going on in our lives, we want to share it. We want to talk about it. What do you do if you have discovered the deep, deep love of Jesus? You want others to know about it. You become a Jesus promoter and a good news teller. And interestingly, actually, in the New Testament, there aren't that many commands to evangelize. There's obviously the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, but there aren't that many other commands to evangelize because it just happened. The people who had heard this good news had it bubbling over. Jesus actually had to tell a number of the people he healed and, and saved and rescued, just shh, don't tell anyone, because spontaneously it would bubble out over them. The apostles said, when they were persecuted, I'm sorry, but we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. The, the innate mission of telling other people about Jesus, then, gives us a new sense of purpose in life. One of the things that it does is it makes really clear to us what our purpose in life isn't anymore. Your main purpose is not to make money. It's not to make a name for yourself. It's not to be impressive. Your main purpose isn't even to make the most of this life. As many experiences as possible, as many places as possible, as many friends as possible, as many nice holidays as possible, that's no longer actually the main purpose of your life. Once you know Jesus a lot of those things start to feel incredibly small and relatively unimportant. Mere trifles compared to what Christ has now caught us up in in the great drama of redemption. Uh, let me read a, a paragraph from C.S. Lewis. Some of you may know it's a fairly well-known statement, but it puts it so well. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And what the gospel does is it recalibrates that sense of what life is all about. And we realize we don't want to be just making mud pies in a slum. No, we've been offered a holiday at the sea. We've been offered far more in Christ. And we want our kids to know that. We want our friends to know that. We want our housemates to know that. We so want our family members to know that, we want them to know how good it is to know Christ. We want them to know how good it is when your identity is found in Jesus, not in your job or your looks or your gender or anything else. We want them to know how good it is to have eternal hope and be living for more than academic success or career promotion or wealth accumulation. We want them to know that even though life sometimes can be unbelievably hard, and even if they have messed up massively, it's a wonderful thing to know forgiveness and guilt blotted out. 
So really, now we, we want as many people to know Christ as possible. Our new purpose, our mission, becomes to make known how good it is to know Christ and live for him. Of course, we're living in a context at the moment where people don't want to hear that at all. Uh, they, they think we're mad. Actually, worse than that, they think we're bad. They think we're bigoted, intolerant, unloving, divisive. But to be honest, that's not going to put us off, is it? We have found in Jesus Christ life that makes sense. And although it's going to be uncomfortable and though there's going to be a cost for it, we want other people to know how good it is to know Christ and live for him. We've found treasure and we want other people to find it as well. We've found love and we want other people around us to experience that as well. We have found hope. And we want other people to live with eternal hope. And that actually takes us to the last stage of the Bible's story. We now have to jump really to the end of the story. The last stage is renewal. Renewal that brings hope. Over about 10 years, we renovated our house, the house that we live in. We bought it as a do-up. It was pretty awful. Um, uh, yeah, really, really blah kind of a place. But I did one room a year over about 10 or 12 years and made our way through the house. And perhaps the, the favorite renovation was the family room. We called it the family room. It was um, this dark, dingy hole, uh, really unpleasant room to be in, which is why we called it the family room because I'd basically made it the kids' zone. Like, you know, you kids, you go down there, just go to the family room. It had this um, long shag pile carpet that was just filthy and you could not get it clean. The walls weren't lined, it was just brick on the walls, uh, fairly low roof, it was very dingy, and there was no heating there. It was cold, stone cold, pretty well all year round. So that's where the kids went. And um, uh, Wendy and I never really went there. It was like, no, no, just go down to the family room. And then uh, eventually we got around to renovating the family room. And I have to tell you, that room is now our favourite room in the house. Um, it, has, it has this beautiful carpet. We lined the walls. We put in a wood burner. There's a, a, a lovely sliding door out onto a beautiful deck, and the, grape, the ornamental grapevine grows over that. And it's just a really peaceful, pleasant place to be, utterly transformed. And we love it. One day, this whole world will be renovated. All that's dirty, dodgy, disappointing will be stripped away. In Revelation 21, verse 1, we read there that, that John sees a new heaven and a new earth. He sees this world renewed, renovated. There are two Greek words for new, neos and kainos, Neos is like brand new. Kainos is renewed, new in quality, new in character. And when it 
talks in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, um, yeah, 1 Corinthians 5.17, when it, when it talks about us in Christ, that if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, it's that second word, it's kainos, new in quality, renewed, renovated. When you believe in Jesus, you don't suddenly become a brand new person. They're like the old person just disappeared and, oh, who's this? Like, no, it's you, but you are renovated internally by the work of the Holy Spirit. And one day that is going to happen for the whole world. One day God is going to renovate the cosmos. This will be God's extreme makeover of heaven and earth and everything in them. That means that the world to come will be as real and tangible as this world. It is this world renewed, recreated. But in that new world... It will be heaven on earth. It will be heaven on earth. It says there in Revelation 21, there'll be no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Never again will a a young man go off to war and not return. Never again will a kid go to school and be bullied. Never again will someone go to work and get laid off. Never again will lovers go to an airport and say goodbye. Never again will parents grieve over their wayward kid or their stillborn baby. Never again will someone be mistreated because of the color of their skin. Never will a wife grieve over her husband's adultery. In fact, never again will a woman have to speak up about the abuse she suffered. Never again will people be persecuted for following Jesus. Never again. I don't know how it is for you. But sometimes don't you feel like you can't take any more? Sometimes it just seems too hard. So much pain. So much disappointment. So much that I stuff up. A day is coming when that will be no more. How could it be that good? How could it be that good? Well, it tells us in Revelation 21 and uh, verse 3, it says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the covenant promise fulfilled. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. How, how come it will be so good? God is there. 
in all his glory and beauty and love and mercy. This, friends, this is the triumphant conclusion to the Bible story. And it's not just the triumphant conclusion to the Bible story, it is the triumphant conclusion to the world's story. And it's the triumphant conclusion to our lives if we are followers of Jesus. So how do we live this part of the story, this last part, renewal? (laughs) We eagerly anticipate the ultimate renewal of all things. We live as men and women and children of hope. We, We often struggle now. We will continue to struggle as long as we walk this earth, but we struggle now with our eyes set on glory. We struggle with our bodies, our looks, our health, our aches and pains. But one day, this body will be renovated. Bring it on. We struggle with sin and temptation and failure. But one day, it will all be done away with. We struggle with sadness and guilt and grief and discouragement but one day Jesus himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. We struggle with what's on the nightly news, but one day the good news of the gospel will wipe that out and it will be good news forever. Basically, actually, what's going on is we struggle because now we live by faith. And to be honest, it's hard to live by faith. But then we'll live by sight. And we will see God in all his beauty. And we will see Jesus, our Savior, who lived and died and lives for us now. So there it is. Uh, Too easy. That's the Bible story. And I've, I've just picked out one theme out of hundreds of themes, really. I've just picked out one theme from each stage of the Bible story because I think these themes renew our souls. Friends, your soul will be renewed as you feast on the beauty of God, as you confess the chaos of your own heart, as you grow in a richly complex relationship with God, as you depend on the limitless love of Christ, as you make known how good it is to know Christ and live for him, and as you anticipate the glorious renewal of all things. And I hope to see you there. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came into this story to be the great hero, the central actor, to bring the one who brings about renewal and restoration and forgiveness and wholeness. And so we just praise you that you are a wonderful saviour, and we thank you for the glorious hope that is ours because of you. I pray, Father, that all of us here would learn to live in this story and that you would renew and refresh our souls as we live the gospel. We ask this and pray this for your name's sake. Amen.